Mode. This is episode 47. I am one of your hosts, Willa Rowe. And I'm your other host, Robin B. It's raining outside today, Robin. Uh, yeah, it's raining here too. And it's it's making me very happy. I love it. It makes me really happy. I'm one of those people who like is obsessed with the gloomy, rainy weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's finally in the 60s, which is like it, the lowest it's been for months here in New York. Yeah, it's like high 50s here. It finally feels like God, fall. I wish. I wish God's it was perfect in the 50s season. here. I was thinking about it. It reminds me of <laughs> this game. Do you know the game Rain? No. It's So it was a 2013 game from Japan Studio. And it takes place in like, not, it's like not paris but it's like basically paris and it's just like all rainy and you like run around and solve puzzles and stuff and it it involves like an invisible girl who who you can only see because the rain is dropping on her cool just very rainy and i found myself thinking about that this morning i'm looking at it now i've never heard of this it's not the best it's like fine but it was just a very interesting game and i found myself thinking about it today with the rain because i was like oh my god there was that game about rain about rain it was called, called rain. rain it reminds me of heavy rain heavy rain yeah because my rain son has code. been kidnapped rain code is a game right? jason <laughs> jason <laughs> isn't there a game called rain code yeah it just came out this year it looks pretty good anyways so i just wanted to bring up that memory of that game for you um in other news we talked about how State of Play showed off Final Fantasy VII Rebirth last week. Oh, yes. But since last recording, uh, a bunch of previews have gone up for the game, which included maybe the most important piece of footage we've seen from Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Yeah, which or is, any game ever. Or any game ever, which is Sephiroth calling Cloud a puppy. It's... This clip... It's pretty good. This clip has, like... This changed like the internet when it came out. Everybody was losing their minds, like reasonably so. It's the closest I've come to being attracted to a man. (laughs) (laughs) This is Sephiroth calling Cloud a puppy. I understood. I was like, you know what? I see it. I get it. Yeah, it makes sense. I also see the vision of them, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It works because, you know, Cloud can have Sephiroth and Aerith can have Tifa. Yeah, I think I said to you, like, if only this was Aerith and Tifa, this would be the perfect clip. Yeah, it's it's such a great clip. <laughs> it's yeah, I'm it just makes me so happy <laughs> that it's just like so, so it's unknowingly changed the brain chemistry of so many people on the yeah. Internet. Related to State of Play and a continuation of news from it, big win for Yoko Taro, who tweeted about <laughs> Unicorn Overlord. <laughs> and he was like, I have to support Vanillaware. Yes. He fucking Love gets him. it. Such a king. I really want to get that too, actually. I like never buy special super whatever games, but it comes with a little art book and a little card game. Mm-hmm. I just want more. I just want Vanillaware art. Yeah existing in my home i actually have the one for um 13 sentinels came with one mm-hmm. it like wasn't even a special edition or anything it was just like i don't know for something they if you bought the this the uh physical edition just has a cute little art book which is nice i like it capcom continued the like week of showcases 
because they had their own showcase where they showed off the Like a Dragon game, um, Infinite Wealth, and they showed off Gaiden. But Infinite Wealth is the one that people were like so interested in because yes. they gave Kiryu cancer. Yeah. Which I hear people are very upset about. I've never mm-hmm. played a Yakuza game. <laughs> You've never even played one? Okay, well, that's not entirely true. I've never finished one. I've played yeah, okay. like a couple hours of Yakuza 0 because it's on Game Pass. And like everybody at Inverse, when I when at least when I was hired, all the people at Inverse were like huge Yakuza people. Mm-hmm. And like Jen and Joseph and um, Hayes would all be like, Yakuza is the best. You got to play Yakuza. And I just was like, I guess it's on Game Pass. I'll try it. And then I played a couple hours and I was like, I'm busy. I have other things to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a Yakuza person either. I think it's, I don't know. It's along the lines of like the kind of game that I would like to like. Like it seems fun. There's like all these little like life simmy stuff Mm -hmm. that they throw in there. And there's like a kind of like soap opera story. It all sounds very fun. I just don't really enjoy playing them. I I think the combat is like feels really bad i have to say uh infinite wealth the trailer kind of convinced me that i should just jump into it because i don't know if you watched it they released like two trailers one was like a gameplay trailer that was like five minutes and then they had a story trailer Hmm. that was 10 minutes long it was wild and so melodramatic but i was so into it it kind of sold me on it and i know it's a continuation of the the last game which was yakuza like a dragon which mm-hmm. is turn-based and it's not the like real-time action i'm kind of like i could get on board with that probably yeah, yeah it's the stories are always the interesting mm-hmm. parts like I, I i have played like two of the yakuza games and i found myself really kind of slogging through them just to get be able to see more of the story i don't know i don't know if i'll play this one i think also i i would like to play like a dragon because i also think that the turn-based system will be better than the normal combat system mm-hmm. but yeah i don't know i'm not these games don't really do anything for me i'm happy for for everyone who's excited about it but yeah the thing with kiryu getting cancer is really weird too as far as so Hayes, like i know about this mainly from Hayes talking about it like apparently the thing is that it kind of sucks for kiryu because like kiryu is the main character for like the first six games mm-hmm. And he's gone through a bunch of shit, as far as I know. And like six basically ends with him kind of like getting out. And then apparently it's just like they pull him back in just to give him cancer. Yeah, that's rough. It just it feels like a I don't know. It feels like the move from like a like a 90s kind of melodrama to be like just to mm-hmm. ramp up the stakes. Like, I don't know. It's just it just feels like such a strange thing to hang like your your dramatic stakes of the game on it was pointed out that uh, there will have been three like a dragon games that have come out in like the course of a calendar year because like a dragon ishane came out earlier this year and then gaiden is coming out in like november and then infinite wealth is coming out in january which also sega is releasing infinite wealth the week before they're releasing persona 3 reload oh no why are they doing this i don't know yeah because i feel like there's a lot of crossover with those series too like in terms of fans i i think so so it's very interesting to be like here's you know two 60 hour rpgs have fun yeah i mean yeah i mean it, it kind of feels like nintendo putting out super mario rpg and 
Paper Mario Thousand Year Door remakes, but mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, Thousand Year Door is probably going to come toward the like middle or end of the year, I would assume, because mm-hmm. there's no release date yet. But it's rather they're just like, here's everything you wanted. Mm-hmm. Have at Most it. importantly, though, at the Capcom showcase, mm-hmm. they did show off Robin's most anticipated game of ever. Yes. Dragon's Dogma 2. Dragon's Dogma 2. Tell me your thoughts on this, because I watched it and I was like, that looks like what I know Dragon's Dogma is. Same. Um, yeah, they're, I feel like the presentations they've had of Dragon's Dogma 2 have been pretty bad. They seem mostly focused on people who never played the original Dragon's Dogma, um, which makes sense. They're trying to like draw people in. It's not the biggest game in the world. It's been 10 years since the first one. So like they need to get people acquainted with it. But it just for me, it just doesn't. I'm just like, yeah, I know all of these things. Stop telling me about pawns. Like, I, I get it. And yeah, it, my my impression of everything they've shown so far is like this looks basically like exactly the same game, except just like probably feels a little better to play. There's more like interaction with the environment. It It feels like in a big way, like. They have just taken this as an opportunity to like do the things they wanted to do with the first game that they didn't quite pull off, which like honestly, yeah, fuck it, like go for it. I why not? I've seen previews have started to go up because there was a demo at TGS. I haven't read any of them at this point, but just all of the headlines on them are like Dragon's Dogma 2. It's exactly what you expect. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I think I think that's probably gonna be what it is. It's just like Dragon's Dogma again. And I'm a hundred percent here for it. Like that's kind of what I want. Yeah, I don't know. The biggest changes I've seen so far is that this time you can play as a lion person, which I'm a hundred percent going to do. There's gonna be new vocations, which is very exciting. I uh, assume the only... vocations are like jobs slash classes. Yeah, they are um particularly like you start there's like a couple of starting classes that are very like like in their original game it's just fighter mage and archer essentially um in the new game they split out like the archer class was actually like archer slash rogue kind of and they've split those out into two separate classes now for the sequel which i think is interesting but then the vocations like these sort of advanced vocations as they call them are like what you can kind of level up into so in the original game, every class had a, a vocation that was like basically an upgraded version of what you already had. Conjurer they, to white mage, kind of. Conjurer to white mage, kind of. But they also had something that I think is really cool. There was also an option for every class that was basically that class mixed with another class. Okay. So if you played as like the, you say you started as like the strider, which was like the rogue archer daggers thing you could spec into uh the assassin which basically combined that class with the warrior so you could like swap out different weapons it made you just more like better at like combat basically or you could spec into the like magic archer which combines the archer with the the mage class and gave you all these magical spells which is really fucking cool i like i love that system they have shown off a couple of new ones that seem to sort of follow that path but like extend it a little bit like the the only the only really new one they've shown off they showed the new magic archer which has some very different stuff going on which is you know everything they've shown looks really cool but they showed the like mystic spear hand it's called where you get uh both magic abilities and you have this spear that you can that you can fight with which looks sick as fuck. Uh, did you watch this this 
Yeah, I watched it. It was like a it was like a 10 minute video, basically. Yeah. And that class looks cool as hell. There's just like footage of it, like spitting its little spear around and just hitting everything around it and doing little um blink attacks, basically, like mm-hmm. like teleporting a short distance. Yeah. And then like in one particularly cool part, there is like you the spear hand is like on the ground and teleports onto the back of a chimera, which is extremely cool. It's like uh, the kind of fantasy that I had of things you could do in the first game that like it it didn't like it wasn't like quite there technically, you know, it would be great to see it do like take some wild swings and do something totally different and whatever. But if it is literally like just more Dragon's Dogma, like that's great. That's what I want. It's so great. I have read some of the previews mm-hmm. and the thing that I have been obsessed with um, that I think is so funny is you must you must not have seen this. I don't know if you heard of this, but have you heard about the stake in Dragon's Dogma 2? The stake? No. The stake? I'm going to send you a link. It's an article from The Gamer. Uh, okay. I'm going to send it to you. So there is this is an article on The what Gamer the from Meg Policio who previewed it at TGS. Or uh, no, their colleague Tessa did preview it at TGS, but Meg was just like, I'm so curious about this from what I've seen. There is cooking in Dragon's Dogma 2. And the cooking sequences look really, really, really good. Uh And nobody can tell if the cooking sequences are like in engine or if it's just real footage of cooking a steak. You know what? I'm here for it. Give me FMV cooking scenes. I think, okay, I think it's a real steak. Okay, I'm going to watch this video that's attached here. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Wait, what the fuck? (laughs) That's a real, this this is... This is video footage of a steak. This is cooked. absolutely a real steak. Yeah, that's there's no guess. So apparently uh, Tessa tweeted about this saying that at TGS, they asked, they like were in an interview and they asked about this and they basically received the answer of no comment. Why? <laughs> I don't that's know. That's so weird. <laughs> I'm obsessed with it, though. This is deranged. And if this if this is like if if Dragon's Dogma 2 just has FMV cooking videos when you cook, I'm going to be so like, like, look at this. Just like the way you can see little pieces of like crusted on the like crust yeah. form on the steak. And so I, I just, don't want to have to watch a steak be cooked every time I camp. I I hope. I hope about, there's like, like a ve- I hope there's some vegetarian options at the camp. I was going to say, what if it's say. specialized for like whatever meal you make? Because that would be. Great. I hope so. Because I don't want to watch meat cooking every time I have to. I rest. know we talked about we just talked about cooking because uh, we did the mini game episode, and I was like mm-hmm. annoyed with a lot of cooking in most games. But like if if they did this, I'm fully on board. <laughs> you don't need a mini game. You just need like some Food Network footage of yeah. a steak being made. Yeah. Exactly. Give me Alton Brown cooking in Dragon's Dogma <laughs> 2. That sounds great. It's the only oh way they God. can improve the first game. <laughs> but I've been obsessed with this, and I think it's so funny and fascinating. Yeah, I hadn't seen that. I'll have to, I'll have to read more of those previews. That's mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. bizarre. What the fuck? I don't know. I love it. Looks great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of the things we didn't talk about last week that we kind of forgot about because we were we, we got were too, too excited about we, Sword Fighter Peach and Armored Core. Yeah, exactly. Is 
we completely didn't mention any of the Unity stuff that's been going on, mm-hmm. um, which I only brought up to you after we finished recording. Yeah, you literally like, texted me afterward and were like, LMAO, we forgot to mention like the biggest news that's happened in like a legitimately year. Legitimately what happened is a friend messaged me and was like, oh my God, I, I can't wait to hear you talk about all the Unity <laughs> stuff. <laughs> well, too And then I just bad. didn't respond because I was like, oh my God, we totally forgot. But oh, it's no. fine because Unity has continued to be stupid. Don't worry, they're not done fucking up. Yeah. So we we just waited for the news cycle to continue. Yeah, we were actually it was very canny of us to wait. Mm-hmm. We, we we our keen reporter's instinct just knew there was more that was gonna happen. Yeah. Uh do you wanna talk about like what has been happening? God, yeah. It's like it's one of those stories that Unity keeps making statements that make it hard to kind of even keep track of the timeline because they just keep the story just keeps changing. So in the sort of broadest possible terms, a a week or so ago, uh, Unity announced that they were making some changes to their license, basically, that meant every time someone installed your game that's made with Unity for the first time, you would be charged uh, a certain fee for that. Uh, Very pointedly did not say how on earth they were going to do that because there is kind of no such technology that they are known to have that would tell them that. And if they did, it would be uh, just a massive invasion of all of your users' privacy. So what they ended up kind of saying was like, well, we just know, and we're not going to tell you how we know, but we're going to charge you this mysterious fee based on a figure that we're not going to tell you how we derived. And obviously people were very uh, not (laughs) pleased about that. Particularly uh, indie developers were very pissed because they often operate on like absolute razor thin margins anyway. And adding this fee on top basically punishes them for having people install their games. Uh, There was at first there was some concern that like demos and things like that would also hurt them or like if your game got on Game Pass or charity bundles was a big one that people were worried about. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they eventually clarified that like none of that would would count. They they somehow tried to say that they were going to just like charge Xbox for every time someone installed your game on Game Pass, which is also a thing that just couldn't happen. I would. I love the idea of Xbox being like, "What? Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, no, thank you." When? When did this? When did we agree to this? And then there was some. At some point, they like updated the terms, and they were like, "Oh, well, you should work with your publisher to make sure that they know how much they should be paying us." And it's just, just all the basically Unity is just saying like, "We want to charge you a fee that we decide, and we're not going to tell you how it's decided, but you just have to pay us." Mm-hmm. So. Obviously, a lot of developers were like, fuck that. Gareth Damien Martin actually had a really good Twitter thread about this and like why it would have been why it would be like very harmful for indie developers Hmm. specifically. I'll send you the link so you can link it. But uh, a great thing that was pointed out by a lot of people was that um, so like the Unity engine is one of the most popular engines like used by a lot of developers um because there is a free version of it that you know can be used pretty widely and for like for an example of like what kinds of games are made of made on unity i think a lot of people think of indie games being made on unity because of that because you can Mm -hmm. use it at a low cost so 
tunic is made on um, Unity Hollow Knight. But then the like other end of it is a lot of like mobile games and like big moneymakers like Mm -hmm. Genshin Impact and Honkai are Unity games. And so like a lot of people pointed out that something that they were probably going for, because also this was all done by, um, oh God, what's his name? John Riccatello. Yeah, Riccatello, who's the CEO, who is the guy who used to be the CEO of EA and was like, we should charge Battlefield players money for reloading ammo. (laughs) He has a long history of being an absolute piece of shit. Yeah, also saying that like devs who don't monetize their games are fucking idiots. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) it was very clear that like, you know, the corporate heads of Unity were like, some of the biggest games and, and the biggest money makers in the world are using our engine. How can we change our policies to make a quick buck and not do any work? So they were like, well, if we charge games that make that get like over this many installs of like a fee, then we can just rake in money. And yeah, that was clearly what they're going for. But mm-hmm. like it was so bad because it just would hurt everybody. Yeah. And the thing of like, like, Honkai running on this part of that is what what makes that a big deal is like there's a lot of free-to-play games that do this as well Mm -hmm. and games like Honkai rely on people just like spending on microtransactions but most people don't spend any money or like any significant amount of money so it essentially for those that type of game in particular it really does punish them for having more players because more players doesn't necessarily mean make more revenue for them so obviously a lot of developers for very good reason were like well okay f- fuck this for one uh and a lot of them haven't even announced that they're like done with unity um i think you pointed out in the piece that you wrote that uh, uh brennan sheffield of uh necrosoft was like well demon school is going to be our last unity game obviously because we can't do this a lot of folks are saying the same thing like there's been a huge push to jump ship to other engines like godo i think is like kind of, seems to be like the uh, the one that people are rallying behind in particular, which makes a lot of sense. Like if if you have a company that's going to suddenly like spring this on you, it, it makes sense that you would immediately start looking for alternatives. Mm-hmm. So in the like week since that happened, there's been a lot of kind of back and forth, like people asking questions of Unity, Unity giving sort of varying degrees of transparency on on their answers. And then finally gave, issued a statement that was like, okay, We've heard what you're saying. Yeah, it's you know the kind of like corporate bullshit boilerplate. But but they also announced their how they're going to change this policy and what it's going to end up being is they're no longer going to apply this to the like Unity personal license. And where it does apply, they're going to take like two point five percent of of the revenue. But basically, kind of like made it so it's less intrusive. Uh, it's going to end up like siphoning less money from the people it takes money from, essentially. At the same time, they also announced that uh, you no longer have to use the Unity splash screen on your on your game if you're using the personal license, which feels like a very silly thing to throw in just to be like, ah, don't be mad at us like mm-hmm. here. But the um, the thing that really, I think, makes it so that like th- these new terms are worse, like they are still worse than people had before, like even this walked back watered down version is still unity taking money that they wouldn't have taken previously. And so people are very rightfully still upset about that. And I think particularly because it represents like 
a company that is completely willing to change its terms of service with no notice. Uh, and this is particularly a big issue with Unity because they previously had, uh, and I believe like in this new statement, they've like reaffirmed that this still counts. But basically, if they ever change their terms of service for their engine, you are still only expected to abide by the terms of service that was applied to your version of the engine. So if they release an engine, uh, you know, a new version every single year, they might update the terms of service for every release. And if you're still using a version that's three years old, you only have to abide by that version's terms of service. So if they add shit in the future, you don't have to abide by these random things they throw in. Uh, and what part of what made this such a big deal is that this was going to apply retroactively no matter what. So mm -hmm. it's breaking the sort of deal that they already had with developers. And then at the same time, they also pulled down their terms of service that was publicly available on, on GitHub and basically tried to make it so people couldn't cite this rule that they had set out, that they wouldn't do this exact thing. And very, it was, there was a very funny note in like the new version of their their terms of, of this deal that they set out that was like, oh, we we also uh, we also want to point out we're just we're very disappointed at the public response to uh, you know us pulling those terms of service down. People seem to be saying that we were doing that to hide our intentions when actually it just you know they weren't getting very many views so we just took them down because we didn't think anyone wanted to see them which is just like the most it's like insultingly obvious that that's not what was really happening mm -hmm. and people have very rightly just been pointing out like this is this is absurd like this is insulting it, it's like condescending at this point like it's not just a bad policy it's like you are treating us like children while you're trying to take our money away yeah and it's like even with all these this whole week has been like several times they've had to walk back different things because mm -hmm. like it, it originally started with like worries of how does this affect charity bundles game pass deals that kind of stuff the idea that if people reinstalled a game it would count that was a worry initially um and then they walked back that a little bit and now they've walked the policy even more back a little bit but like i think um you know brandon Trofield he wrote a really good piece about this on insert credit called the death of unity um, and there's just like one line that I think sums it all up, which he just writes, Unity is quite simply not a company, company to be trusted. Totally. And like going forward, I think that is just absolutely what it is. And like, mm -hmm. no matter what, developers should just as quickly as possible, you know, for them that if it's feasible should like leave the platform. Oh, I think it's also important to note, which I think is something that came out, but kind of like got caught up in the news and then also the other massive gaming news that happened right around this time is that it came out that uh john what is it riccatello mm -hmm. riccatello had sold quite a bit of stock before this announcement did you hear this no yes he had sold that. he had sold like quite a few shares of unity stock um in the like months ahead of this announcement being made which Yikes. like as several people have pointed out I'm not a lawyer, but something <laughs> a here crime. feels something here feels maybe a little teensy bit, teensy bit illegal. Yeah, pretty sure there's These a term for that. People should all be in prison. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I've seen a lot of developers express that uh, a similar feeling of like, mm -hmm. well, okay, this is less bad than it could have been, but you have still proven that you are a company that will change these terms at any time. And you are therefore like not safe to work with. Like working with Unity is essentially a liability at this point. 
And something that I think also has, I, I've seen expressed in different ways, but it's essentially like in this conversation, we talk a lot, like in the company you know, that, that's being had about this, there's a lot of talk about like indie developers moving off of Unity onto a different engine, but it is, it also affects, it's affecting not just people who have the choice of like, well, I'm making this game or my small team is making this game. And so we're all going to make the choice to move to a different engine and we'll, we'll figure out how to make that work. It's also very probably the case that there are teams where those decisions are being made on a higher, like a top-down kind of level, like like larger teams, you could very easily see like the leadership saying like, well, okay, we can't work the Unity anymore, so we're going to change that out. That could mean that there are people who have years of experience, like whether just like learning Unity or, or experience making games in Unity that are now going to have a possibly could lose their jobs over this. Like if a, if a team switches from Unity to something else and needs an expert in a different engine, that could result in job losses or even more likely just people less, the, the, the skill of being good at Unity is less valuable now, which makes it harder for people to find work who have invested all of this time into Unity. It's one of the kind of like more downstream effects that is a little harder to see, but it's it's just another way in which this is like, it, it can be easy to be like, well, okay, the solution is moved to another engine, like that's tough, but like, you know, good for them for making that choice and and not, you know, being stuck under Unity's thumb. But for some people, like they're not in charge of that choice, like this choice is being made for them. And that's a really scary thing to now have like expertise in this thing that is no longer like desirable. Yeah, so it's just a whole, it's just, a, it's all fucked up. It's fucked up from top to bottom. Yeah, I, I want to point out that like, during this time, it also happened where people were, um, there had been rumors already um, that apparently Hoyoverse, uh, who make Genshin and Honkai, are apparently thinking about making their own engine for future games. But mm. people pointed out that there were a bunch of engine job postings around at the time the Unity news came out. So it's like, everybody is pissed about this. Yeah. But then this news got very quickly put to the side because suddenly years worth of leaks came out thanks to the FTC Microsoft trial because <laughs> Xbox accidentally uploaded a bunch of documents. <laughs> I think that's the best part of this entire story is that it's like the leak was just Microsoft went oops and like just opened the window and threw a bunch of files out. Like it's just it's it's extremely funny how this happened. I it was insane. It was wild. I just I remember like waking up on the day it happened and just opening the work slack and ever just all of us were just like oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> like oh we're going to be in for a day. Mhm. Mm so, yeah, for people who don't know, <laughs> essentially what happened is Microsoft had its big trial against the FTC to determine if um, it could do the Activision deal, Activision Blizzard merger. And this happened like a couple months ago. The trial was ended. They won the trial. Uh, the, you know, the FTC basically was like, OK, I guess the, the merger can go through. But there are still like basically <sighs> documents get uploaded to the court online and a lot of court documents are publicly available. Uh, like this is how a lot of reporting happens is by looking at court documents that are publicly available. Um, although sometimes a lot of them are redacted or have information that's like not not actually publicly publicly available. But suddenly a bunch of new documents were uploaded to the publicly available <laughs> court document site. 
And it was just so much stuff. And it had to do with like, it was a bunch of internal emails from like Phil Spencer and a bunch of documents and like internal PowerPoints about year long plans and and acquisitions and Game Pass ideas. And oh, my God, it is insane. So I guess we should talk about like some of the stuff that happened. Yeah, it's I mean, it is like a tremendous amount of of information that leaked like 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 genuinely too much to even like begin to cover in any holistic way. But yeah, there are some sort of key points that a lot of people have been like focusing on, which are the kind of the um, I guess the points that are of most interest to like the average person, or at least that reveal like interesting things that were happening. Uh, the kind of mindset of of yeah. like Phil Spencer and other like Microsoft executives. The one that I remember first came out and was like the first big piece that everybody was talking about, which I think is funny, like relatively considering I think there's a lot more interesting things, but. Mm-hmm. People were really talking about the whole Xbox Series X refresh. Like that was the first big one that I Mm. saw in the morning that went out. It was revealed in leaked documents that they are working on a refresh of the Xbox Series X codenamed Brooklyn that is supposed to release next year. It's a cylinder. They like change up the design (laughs) a bit. Like it has some digital stuff. It has some like tech that has been changed. But like mostly people were being like, look at this ugly new box. But uh, I think one of the one of the fascinating things I actually do think about this, and I have a lot of thoughts on this, is that the Xbox Series X refresh is all digital Mm -hmm. and they don't mention having a non-digital option for the refresh. And they don't talk about, you know, none of these documents talk about the availability of the disc Xbox Series X going forward after a refresh. I think the plan comes into a lot more like it becomes a lot more clear when you look at the other documents. But I think it really speaks to how Xbox is like fully banking on Game Pass as being one of their center things. Mm -hmm. And they want to take away the option of a physical disc because it encourages subscriptions to Game Pass. But I also think it's like incredibly dangerous and bad especially yeah. in the like landscape we are now of like preservation in this medium i just think it's it's terrible like i yeah. i have never been a person who really has physical games like early on into like having my ps3 i started just doing digital uh purchases but like lately i've been like i should i should start buying physical games for uh, physical editions of the games that i like really like because so many games are just pulled from the stores and stuff now even if you own them marvel's the avengers is gonna get pulled Mm -hmm. um it's like maybe it's a bad game but that doesn't mean that we should lose access to something there's value in even bad games being able to like continue existing and like to be able to like play them in some way. Like I'm the same way. I mean, like 99.9% of the games I have are digital, but we are also not the people who are doing the work of preservation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, I, I would be like, if I had a, an Xbox that I could only play digitally on, it wouldn't really affect me that much. But the fact that it's not an option for people who would go about preserving things is, is a huge loss. Something that I've seen point out, pointed out around this a lot is from uh, Lance McDonald, who is, I think, best known in like the kind of Soulsborne community. But he's pointed out multiple times that like one of the the biggest losses there is that 
when you have a game that ships on a physical disc, they almost always nowadays have like a day one patch that you install to update things. And it can be really interesting to be able to play the game, just, you know, take the files as they are on the disc without a day one patch and see what's there, what's different between the the day one patch and the like the game as it ships on the disc. And those are things that just don't exist anymore if you don't mm-hmm. have a physical console. And it's, yeah, I mean, like, like you're right. Like this, like the industry is so bad about preservation already that any step that makes it even incrementally more difficult is like just a really dangerous step to be taking. It's really interesting. I didn't end up using this in my Yoko Taro profile for luminaries, but one of the things I asked him is like, what's a trend in gaming that you like and would like to see more of and he answered and he said he was like it's actually not really a trend because it's not very common but he loves the company limited run games Hmm. and like companies that like that who push for more physical editions of games especially small indie games that won't typically get physical releases because he prefers physical media especially in the like current landscape of how digital media is like so unreliable and I think about that a lot. Like it's something that I've been thinking about where I I've like started making a list where I'm like, these are games that I would love to have on physical media so that I don't have to lose it. Yeah. And then there were like plenty of other things. Um, I think one thing that there were there were two really like sensational stories that I think mm-hmm. people latched onto also, which the first one is that it came out, they were talking about like, you know, Game Pass acquisitions and like games they would like to get for Game Pass. And it came out that one of the things that there was on on Xbox's radar was Baldur's Gate 3, but that they they estimated that it would be a $5 million expense to get that deal. And they called it that like it would be a quote unquote second run Stadia PC RPG. And everybody started being like, Oh my God, Xbox mm-hmm. completely misjudged Baldur's Gate 3. It's a funny quote. Like It's, it's a, funny. It's... it's very funny, but I think it's like, I think there's a lot of context that could be put into this mm-hmm. where it's like, to be fair, I think kind of ever like most people I do think underestimated it to some extent. Yeah, I think so. Like, I mean, it, it was, yeah, until it launched, it was certainly seen as more niche than it became like there's no one predicted that it was going to be as big as it was yeah like i and i can't remember who i think made this point but i saw someone make the point most big video game publishers would probably also underestimate it because most Mm -hmm. big publishers don't actually think about that they think about the like most generally appealing product and how that would make money and Baldur's gate 3 just doesn't look like that so it's not it's not absurd Mm-hmm. I I think they I think it's just in I think it's just the proportion of it like mm-hmm. it's not shocking that they underestimated it but it is kind of surprising how much they underestimated it I guess mm-hmm. like to to not see the appeal at all is is interesting but I don't think it's that surprising like it's it makes sense that it was like at the bottom of their their sort of priorities you know yeah I think that actually um ties into something else that it hasn't gotten quite as much press, I think, but what mm-hmm. I kind of think is one of the more interesting things from the leak, which is uh, Phil Spencer's sort of like diagnosis of what is going on in AAA right now. This was actually kind of fascinating. I thought so too. Like, I, I thought it was really interesting. It, it's 
makes sense why it hasn't it's not like as flashy of a headline as a lot Mm -hmm. of the others but i think it's the most kind of interesting to to think about which is this uh there's an email that it's like basically phil spencer laying out to like other microsoft higher-ups who aren't on who aren't on the gaming side to kind of try to explain like the the state of the business at the moment which is just um laying out the case for what is going on right now in AAA and why so many publishers have not in his view like reacted in a productive way to the rise of like subscription services and uh it goes into like a lot of stuff about the um like rising costs of development there's a lot that he goes into here so there's a quote that is in this email that is also pointed out in uh, a kotaku piece uh, that we can link to which says uh the creation of digital storefronts like steam xbox store and playstation store eventually democratize access for creators breaking physical retails lock on game distribution Publishers were slow to react to this disruption. The AAA publishers did not find a way to leverage the moat that physical retail created in the digital realm in a way that had them continue their dominance of the game marketplace. Which is largely just saying, like, there are so many more options now and games Mm -hmm. are so much more easy to get your hands on that the AAA publishers had been so used to having the sort of, like, prominence of like you go into a fucking best buy or whatever and there's just like a wall of like call of duty and whatever else triple a games and that's just like that prominence means that they have a disproportionate sort of like share of sales and of like people's idea of what it means to be like what the video game industry is and when things opened up so much more with subscriptions not only is there like so much more choice but also those platform holders are also starting to take more and more fees which is eating away at the revenue that's coming that's on top of like insanely ballooning costs of development so they're like proportionately like losing some revenue to that while at the same time there's so much more competition and it's just it's really interesting to me to see phil spencer's kind of take on this which is his idea is that the only kind of ace that they still have up their sleeve is the idea of like we can just pour so much more money into making this game and marketing this game and we'll just be the biggest and flashiest and like most visible element that there is of the games industry and that's like not necessarily like a sound or sustainable strategy and what i think is most interesting about that is that this is something that we have talked about so much yeah but this is coming from the perspective of the executive of an executive in the games industry who is also pursuing these same ends. Like he is also trying to maximize, maximize his brand Mm -hmm. and like make sure his profits are the highest. So he is saying like, here is why we have failed at, or why publishers are failing at this goal of dominance and of being the best seller, which is a good thing that we, we should aspire to. But we're saying essentially the same things, except the conclusion we draw is that, both sides of this, like both us and the kind of like Phil Spencer side are saying this is corrosive to the industry. But his perspective is like from a profit maximizing perspective and ours is from this is why games like AAA is so uninteresting. I don't know. I just find it fascinating to see like someone who is on kind of the opposite side of the battle from us for like our games, like art or commerce, but having the same diagnosis of the industry and coming to essentially the same conclusions. I think it's really fascinating also because I honestly think it gives me like a 
it makes me kind of look at Game Pass in a really interesting new way because Mm -hmm. it really speaks to how they've created such a weird, like, offering where they've really pushed, like, indie games being a part of Game Pass. Like, some of the best indie games are on Game Pass. And that is awesome and you can see why you know phil spencer feels like this should be part of game pass because he sees indie games as like filling out these other offerings that AAA is failing at because of this problem they've been having while also still pursuing like these massive AAA games like starfield being able to be on game pass and stuff i think it i think in a way it's there's this thing that i've always been like i've grappled with with microsoft's acquisitions because i i hate acquisitions on an ethical position of I don't like corporations buying more corporations and just amassing power. Part of the leaks that also came out was like, you know, lists of games that are coming. And it, this was mostly a list of Bethesda games. And one of the things that I think was really interesting is they talked about Dishonored 3 is on the list. Mm-hmm. And I wrote about this because I was the Dishonored franchise has had a long, troubled relationship with being developed where despite Dishonored, I think having a really, really good critical reputation for being incredible games, Bethesda has always said that they didn't sell, which is why they forced um, Arcane to change up what they were doing. You know, they pushed them to make Deathloop, which Deathloop still holds some of the Dishonored stuff, but it's also a little bit more generally appealing. And then Deathloop didn't sell enough either. So they were fully like, Arcane, you guys have to completely change what you're doing. This immersive sim stuff doesn't sell. We don't care that it's good with like that people like it. It doesn't sell. So we're going to make you make Redfall. Yes. <laughs> Which we have learned Which how that great. happened. Yeah. And these are documents from a couple years ago, but they it's from the time where Xbox still had recently purchased Bethesda. It's saying like, oh, we are making Dishonored 3. I think about this a lot, too, in the context of how we watched Psych Odyssey Mm -hmm. and Tim Schafer and the team talking about why they allowed themselves, like why they agreed to get acquired. There's this mindset that I'm always worried because I don't trust business people and I don't trust Phil Spencer, where they're always saying like, well, our goal with first party studios and like acquisitions is we want to let them have like their culture and let them make the games they want. We're not trying to change things. We want to just, we bought them because we want them to stay how they are. And I'm always worried that that's not true, that that's going to change, but it's seemingly partially true. And like in the case of Arcane, it's so interesting because Bethesda clearly was such bad management for Arcane, where they kept pushing the studio to make projects that the developers hated. And like Jason Schreier's reporting on this is really interesting to read, where mm-hmm. like developers just straight up left because Bethesda's management was like so bad of forcing them to make this game that nobody wanted. And seemingly Xbox came and was like, go back to what you want to do, like make Dishonored. Like, just that's what you guys want to do and you're good at it. Do that. It's weird. It's really weird. Because I like that, but I don't, I still just don't trust this. It's, yeah. Yeah, you shouldn't. You shouldn't trust it. You shouldn't trust Phil Spencer, even though, like, a lot of people were. Even though he's a big Lost Odyssey fan. It's, I I totally agree with you, though. It's really tricky because I, I definitely think that there are, because of this idea that that Game Pass can be more profitable if it 
is able to collect these kind of smaller games that like wouldn't get much attention on their own. But if we put them on Game Pass and we put them in front of people, then that can make Game Pass more valuable because they'll see all this variety. They'll see these things that aren't being done by AAA. And so there is a way in which the existence of Game Pass and Microsoft's desire to like sign deals with these publishers does allow games that might not get very much attention to get more attention, which means you know, the developers can remain getting paid. They can stay working. They can not have to, uh, you know, sell the studio outright to another publisher that might take more of an active hand in development and take more freedom away from them. But at the same time, that deal is always contingent on Xbox believing that it is profitable for it in the long term to make these investments. And so there is a certain point at which you, even with the most amount of freedom you could possibly get out of this deal, you are still beholden to Xbox's belief that you are generating money for them. And if that stops happening, then they will step in because that is just they are a business mm-hmm. and that is how they work. I don't know. It's it's I don't I don't have an optimistic view of this at all. Like absolutely not. I think it's like independent developers finding a way to find this little corner of this very corrosive system where they can exist and where like as long as kind of the eye of Sauron doesn't fall on them Mm -hmm. too much they will be free to do whatever they want to do but all of that is contingent in the end on the same mindsets and the same kind of market forces that drive AAA to do all of the bullshit that we constantly talk about so they're like forced to play the same game as the studios that they are Mm -hmm. trying to escape uh, it's 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 only when they're able to make the kind of business people happy that they're able to be left alone to do their mm-hmm. own thing creatively. I mean, it's incredibly dangerous, especially recently, where like other news that has happened is um, Embracer has had a lot of layoffs lately, God. and they've been in a lot of danger. So and that's many, a company yeah. that was part of the big acquisition craze lately and just like bought up a bunch of crap, didn't know what to do with it hasn't been making money, apparently has mm-hmm. had deals fall through, and then was like, well, I guess we're just going to start laying off people. Yeah. And it's like, that's that's the danger. I think it's so interesting to me still to this day that the first article that I wrote that like got published was about mm-hmm. the Square Enix Embracer deal. Yeah. And I wrote this big piece basically about how like acquisitions are so dangerous Because all they're going to do is they're going to like homogenize the industry and like it's going to be bad for everybody and it's going to be so dangerous. And like the year and a half that I've spent writing, you know, stuff since then has just it's just gotten so much worse. Yeah, you were so right. I I remember that piece. That's such a good piece. I remember when we published that, I was like, damn, this girl gets it. And then like a week (laughs) later, you were like in the the newsroom. I was in the newsroom meeting. (laughs) Yeah. Um, there's a really interesting note from the documents also that, and this was from 2022 was when this stuff was, these documents were from. They, Xbox had said that three quarters of all Xbox gamers were, had an Xbox Series S. Very interesting. There's a lot of interesting things about this to me. One, I get it's the cheap one. Mm-hmm. Totally understandable i've thought about getting an xbox series s because i'm like well i have game pass and i love playing a lot of game pass games because they always have the indie games i want so i'll just put it in the tv and it's all digital which i think Mm -hmm. having this big install base of the digital um one is probably part of what led them to say our xbox series x refresh is going to be all digital i think an 
interesting note about this is that despite the Series S being so popular, apparently, developers have been very open about how the Series S is like a huge problem for development. Mm -hmm. The ones that I can think of are Remedy was talking about this with Alan Wake 2, how the Series S was presenting a problem uh, because of the lower technology that it has compared to the Xbox Series X and cross-platform if you're developing for the PlayStation 5. Like the PlayStation 5 is comparable to the Series X and then the Series S is just below both of those. So Mm -hmm. it's like and this was a big thing with Baldur's Gate 3. I don't know if you read about this, but yeah, it's kept it off Xbox for a while. Yeah, it's kept it it off Xbox and the, the developers have literally tweeted. They're like, hey, just to be clear, the reason it's not on Xbox is because split screen just like basically can't work on Series S right now. Which is, yeah, I mean, it's wild. Like it's good that there is like a more affordable version the the kind of the reality of that is i don't know i mean i guess you you kind of assume that like because a lot of stuff is cross-platform with the switch as well it's like okay well if you can run the switch it can run on a slightly less powerful version of the xbox but in reality it just doesn't work that way and there is a reason why a lot of like big big games don't end up on the switch yeah it's just it's it's such a I think it's an interesting trade-off to think about, like, sure, we can get this machine into more people's hands, but it also means some games just can't come to this platform anymore, mm-hmm. which is something that I hadn't really kind of realized before this. people started talking about this this publicly. So it's interesting to hear people coming out and talking about it now uh, in the ways that it has, like, you know, harmed developers in some ways. Yeah. And then I think I think the one of the like last bits of like big news that people were, you know, latched onto was the whole Microsoft wanted wants to buy Nintendo thing, Mm -hmm. which like isn't new. Actually, we've heard about this before. And it's also like it's one of those things where it's like it's kind of overblown where it's like they kind of generally discussed the idea. I don't think anybody thinks it would realistically happen. Not Mm -hmm. even Phil Spencer. I still think there's a really funny quote in there, though, where uh, in the email, Phil Spencer wrote, it's just taking a long time for Nintendo to realize that their future exists off of their own hardware. And people have pointed out, like, (laughs) the Nintendo Switch is outselling the Xbox Series X and S and like the PlayStation 5, like, by miles. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's why people for so long have been talking about like, oh, what if Game Pass could come to the Switch? Like, Mm -hmm. that's such a that's been such a weird thing that people have been talking about where it's like, are you sure that it's Nintendo that needs to be worried about this? I think the the last bit of news uh, that I just want to mention quickly was the idea that uh, to go back to Bethesda, that they're working on an Oblivion remaster. And all I have to say to that is why oblivion and not why the worst game in your series and not the best one which is morrowind okay cowards (laughs) give me a second so in august there were reports that there was an oblivion remake being made Mm -hmm. and i literally wrote an article called oblivion isn't the elder scrolls game that deserves a remake (laughs) (laughs) you're so right because because it came out that they were like oh they're allegedly working on an oblivion remake and i was like what the fuck no morrowind what are you doing you're so smart i I am so smart (laughs) yeah it was it it's been a wild 
like two weeks of game news. Yes. It actually made me very glad that I am not writing news at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I just, this is too much to deal with. Very jealous because I was like, oh, great. You know, this was supposed to be kind of like a quiet month before, you know, like we. August was busy with a bunch of game releases. Mm -hmm. September is going to be quiet. And then October is going to be busy with a bunch of game releases. And then September was like, no, we actually have like a million new announcements. And also uh, we're going to have like maybe one of the biggest leaks in the industry. And we're going to have the whole Unity drama. It's like, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. (laughs) let me sleep. That's us catching up on like the past two weeks of insane news uh do you have anything else you want to talk about before we like move on to what we've been up to i don't think so i think that i i think both of these stories like illustrate so much that 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 gulf between AAA and indie um it makes me really i really need to finish uh that brandon co book the the video game industry does not exist i think this so much of this stuff touches on things that are mentioned in that book that i really need to get back to it yeah i don't know that's all i have I actually, there is one more thing that I want to bring up, and I forgot to put this in the doc or anything, and I just think it would be fun to talk about. Great. Um, It's been a rough year, couple years for video game journalism, Robin. I hadn't noticed. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you know this. There's been a lot of layoffs. (laughs) Yeah, weird. Um, But don't worry, because it's going to be fixed. Do you know why? Oh, why? Are we outlawing video games finally? Because the New York Times oh, is bringing God. back gaming coverage, Robin. I mean, <laughs> if it gets them to publish, you know, a couple hundred fewer words about how trans people need to be eradicated, I'm I'm all for it. Wait until they hear about Celeste. Oh no, oh, it's going to get mean, rough. They just heard about Red Dead Redemption too, so it's yeah. Um, for those who don't know what we're referring to, uh, the New York Times published a article um called leveling up on the video game beat which was part of their what they call like times insider it's kind of like behind behind the paper what's going on um and they were talking about how the new york times is going to be bringing back like video game coverage they're gonna have more video game coverage on the site and Mm -hmm. it was an interview with the three people who are basically going to be leading coverage and it was like this very short um nonsense uh <laughs> q and a it was just absurd i don't know i listen it's been pointed out that like steven totillo pointed this out like the new york times hasn't always been so bad about covering video games mm-hmm. in its history it has done it before i don't think this is that time though i don't no. tr- i think this is going to be garbage i really do I'm really looking forward to how how much material it's going to give us for the podcast. Oh yeah, like if you <laughs> that's all I have. If you've to read say any, at this moment, if you've read any of the minimal New York Times gaming articles that have come out in the past year, you'll know they're garbage. It's yeah, it's it's a lot of rough stuff has shown it's up so in the New York like, Times. Just look up the Elden Ring article; you'll know what we're talking about. Like, oh my fucking god! I just—it's so absurd to me because, like, it's been pointed out so many times by so many people where it's like, you are the paper of record. You are one of the biggest outlets in the country, if not one of the most respected. Like, you know, they shouldn't be, but one of the most <laughs> yeah. respected like news outlets in arguably the world. And right. you have a lot of money. You have a lot of resources. 
and yet you still don't know how to make a fucking gaming section in a in uh, the time we are when there are so many so many talented editors and writers and reporters mm-hmm. and critics with just no jobs you could easily hire an entire gaming section just off of the people who currently have no jobs and you would very quickly have the talent to build one of the best gaming outlets that could exist Mm -hmm. and instead they're taking people who are just like oh i covered tech at the new york times and i like to play video games before i go to bed so i'm gonna write about video games and i'm just like I'm so tired of it. It's this weird thing of like, they expect video game coverage to be written in a way that can appeal to people who don't care about video games. Yeah. Which is just a very strange way to approach things. And it's not something that like any other vertical does. Like, it's not like every article in the business section of the paper starts with an explanation of what the stock market is. But for some reason, anytime you talk about a video game, you have to start it with like, explaining the idea of what a, how a video game works and why it's not just pac-man anymore it's so upsetting to me because it's like to this day i still despite like i hate the new york times but because i i love theater and i'm still a theater person i'm very into the theater scene in new york i will read the new york times mm-hmm. theater section because i read reviews that come out of there because it's very important to read one of the biggest critics um jesse green who works in the new york times and the other team there you you need to read them to hear what they're thinking about the shows that are out and it's like no fucking theater review would open with well so S- steven sondheim is this guy <laughs> yeah. if you don't know who he is let me give you like a rundown it's like no yes. you just write it from a point of like knowledge and criticism and the people who want to read it will read it but with video games they don't know how to fucking do that no it, it's always yeah it's always condescending essentially like they're i have not read anything from the new york times video game coverage that didn't feel like it was looking down on the audience like i, I think my the most like vivid one for me is like they did a maybe i didn't remember if it was even a review but there was a piece on red dead redemption 2 when that came out it was just like just so much of it was just this the weird hand wringing about like that video games maybe video games can be occasionally worth considering you know mm-hmm. it's just disappointing like you said like that they could be doing they could be doing so well and not just i mean frankly not just the new york times like so many places mm-hmm. have any place with the resources to hire like the like you said like thousands of people who have been laid off in the past year or so like could build an unbelievable newsroom but it's just they they just i don't know they they want to do something different and worse it's so upsetting to me because like launcher proved that you could do it yes but it also proved that no matter if you have the best newsroom like on the beat doing it that it can still get shuttered for no reason besides we decided to and it's very clear with the new york times that their approach to covering games this time around is that and they wrote like you can tell in the little blurb that they write before this, you know, Q&A with the team. The team at The New York Times sees video games and they're like, video games make a lot of money. And it's like that oft said thing, which mm-hmm. I think is frustrating. And it's so it doesn't really say anything. But people are always like, you know, video games actually make more money than film. And yes. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't really mean anything, right. though. But they hear that and they're like, Vid- there's money in video games. So if we cover this, we're going to get money. Like, why aren't we talking about Starfield? Starfield makes money. Mm-hmm. Like, they literally say Red Dead Redemption, which did you know sold 55 million copies or Red Dead Redemption 2. And it's like, they're clearly just doing this because they want to be part, they want to get some of that money. 
which is a recipe for disaster. And like, there's no way this will not be just like this initiative. I, I do not see existing past like it will have the same lifespan as Exoprimal. <laughs> I mean, I think your comparison to like the, the like to theater coverage is is really I think it says a lot like they would never approach any other art form as if it is first and foremost interesting because it makes money like anything else can be considered important because it's an artistic medium and video games in their eyes just can't like that cannot be the driving force is like this is a valid medium for you to like consider and spend time with like there always has to be a justification for it that goes above and beyond these are things that are worth thinking about and i think that's i mean that's you're just never going to succeed if that's where you come into the conversation yeah i don't know i think about it like as someone who had to like had to i did not like it i had to learn so much about like quote unquote journalism from a lot of people who had staff positions at the new york times and stuff mm-hmm. and you know one of the things that a lot of people would always say is like you have to understand when you're writing a story who it's for and like who the audience is for and especially if you're writing for a paper you have to know how to write a story for that paper's audience and i'm like the majority of the New York Times readership, I don't think is ever going to care mm-hmm. in the way that would allow for good, re- like good journalism in this beat. But I think just deciding to do good journalism on this beat would bring people to read it. It's like, yeah. it is, it does. It's one of those things where it's like, I don't know how to beat it into the ground more, but it's like so upsetting to feel like there's such an easy answer that is so within grasp and that mm-hmm. the New York Times is just like, we're just not going to do that. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me, but it's nonetheless consistently disappointing. Yeah. I think that's exactly the the way to sum it up. Yeah. Not surprising, but disappointing nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, what have you been up to this week? <laughs> yeah. In, in less uh, newsworthy things. Uh, we mentioned last week that we had both started playing Armored Core. Uh, I'm taking somewhat of a break from Armored Core 6 at this point. I've reached the first boss that I think is bullshit and it's not fun. And uh, I just need to like have a long enough chunk of time that I can kind of like spend to like play and like beat this boss. So I'm kind of taking a break from that at the moment. What I've been doing instead, I've been playing a game that came out uh, two months ago at this point. It's a game that I've really been excited to play. I've been watching it since like before it came out. I'm very excited. I'm very glad that I finally got the chance to play it. Uh, this is a game that you're either not going to know what it is or you're going to laugh when I tell you what it is. This is a game called Pseudo Regalia. This sounds familiar. Okay, I'm going to send you... Um, this is some fan art of the main character. I don't know if I know what this is, but this is clearly this is Robin Bait. Um, <laughs> this isn't why I like the game. I do. Sure. I, do I do like this. Mm-hmm. I do I, like I know that you, you play as like a bunny girl with a fat ass. But that's not <laughs> why I wanted to play the game. Um, so Pseudo Regalia is... I I don't remember exactly where I first heard it. I just like saw people talking about it on Twitter. Uh, The developer who their Twitter handle is Ritzler. uh, I remember seeing some of their, you know, in process tweets about the game coming out and it looked really interesting. It is a 
3D Metroidvania. It is very like kind of PS1 style graphics. And it just kind of like looked like my jam. Uh, it's also current. It's like it's like six dollars and that's like full price. Like it's not, you know, it is a very easily attainable game. And so I, I, I've been wanting to play it for a while and I finally had time that I was like, OK, I can just like play this for a little bit. And I am happy to say that it fucking rips. It's this game feels so good to play like it is, I think, in contrast to a lot of Metroidvanias, it's, at least so far, has been really not combat-focused, like, at all. Like, there is combat, but it's not the main point. It's much more about the traversal, and it just feels fucking incredible to play. Like, there is a there's a really cool mechanic in there where, like, instead of having, like, a double jump that you would expect, you have a sort of, like, you can jump and then do, like, a midair kick. And then if that if you hit the wall during that kick, you will jump like uh, like angled off the wall. And there's like some really cool ways that you have to like learn to use that to be able to traverse these levels that are that are like very, very lots of floating platforms, lots of like you have to be it's like very you have to like kind of move in a very technical way to get there. But there's just something about like just like the smoothness of the movement that feels fucking awesome. It has I was actually it made me think a lot about Momodora, which makes me think that you kind of might like it. Not in the way like Momodora is like a much more difficult, much more combat focused game, but it's just sort of the like spooky castle vibes, the sort of like not really like unspoken story. Something about the feeling of it just really reminds me of Castlevania or Castlevania reminds me of Momodora. It's only a couple hours. I'm probably about halfway through it. Honestly, it's only like six hours long and I've only played it a couple of times. Um, But so far, I'm just fucking loving it. Like if it weren't for Armored Core, this would this would be the best feeling game that I have played in like at least this year. It's just it's just great. Like I'm if if the idea of like a traversal based platformer appeals to you, like absolutely 100% pick this game up like it, it I'm just having just such a simple good time with it like it it just rules I love it so much I'm so glad I finally picked it up but yeah definitely like having a really good time with this so far and I uh I'm excited I finally got to try it so what else have you been up to so there is a theater in New York City called the Paris Theater and it's a famous theater it's historic it's old and it recently reopened after getting a bunch of like renovations and so they've been doing a series called big and loud they just had a bunch of movies playing so i a couple weeks ago like the first the first movie they showed was um playtime which is this french movie uh jacques tati really interesting saw that so that was cool but what i'm really talking about is this week last night uh, me and my friends, we went and we saw 1995's Heat by Michael Mann. This is the first time that I had ever seen this movie. Basically, it's it's uh, two of our friends, one of their favorite movies, and they have basically been saying, next time Heat is in theaters, you're, we're making you come. <laughs> so we saw it at nine, like nine o'clock and it's like a three hour movie. <laughs> It was really fun. It was it, so it's like it's a crime movie. It's it's a heist movie. It's a cops. It's a cop versus robber movie. For those who don't know, it's it's Al Pacino is a detective and Robert De Niro is the head of like a heist crew. Mm-hmm. And it's about them facing off and how they're not so different. Having a lot of sexual tension, first off. <laughs> um, it is about them not being so different. That is the whole point of the movie. 
but it was really fun. Had a great time. It's also, it is one of the great LA movies. It's feels so LA and like having grown up in LA, there were so many times where it's like, oh, I know exactly where they are. I know this building. I know this, you know, street. The moment that made me lose my mind was, and me and Zoe were sitting next to each other and we're both from LA and early on in the movie, they're driving, like Robert De Niro and Val Kilmer are in, they're driving in a car and they have the radio on. And then you just hear 102.7 Kiss FM. And I lost my mind because like, (laughs) It's just it's one of the like big radio stations in L.A. and they have like a morning show. So for me, like literally every morning, like going to school from like elementary school to high school, I just think about hearing that every morning. And I was like, oh, boom, L.A. movie. Uh, It was really good, though, like really there's so much adrenaline um on the edge of my seat like there's a the like the main like heist sequence that's kind of like near the middle almost uh is insane it's a very fun movie i i highly suggest people watch it uh it's it's great and go with you know go see movies with your friends it's fun so yeah i uh i had a good time doing uh that mm-hmm. yeah your very timely recommendation for 1994's Heat. 95. Whatever. <laughs> well, with that, mm-hmm. that brings us to the end of a uh, unusually news-heavy episode of Girl Mode. You can listen to us always, anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find us on social media that we'll link to at some variation of Girl Mode Pod. Uh, and you can find me on those various sites at robin bombas and i'm on socials at the willow row uh be a good puppy and rate and review the podcast (laughs) wherever you listen and um you can send us questions at girlmodepod at gmail.com and on co-host we are getting close to our one year so i'll say it again send us questions for us to answer tell email email the leaked phil spencer email and tell him to listen to girl mode yeah Tell him we've I got a lot of great it. ideas. He would love it. I think, you oh, know, my God. he's he's such a cool guy and not just a corporate person. He'd love it. Um, and I think that'll that'll bring us to the end. Thanks for listening. Uh, see you next time. I think Robin needs needs some time I to need cool to go down. Lie down. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. I'm going to end my recording now. Okay. Should I talk about the the porno we're both reading? I don't think so. We can save that for the mech episode. Um, we could save that for the... I mean, you're go- the mech episode is going to have to be inherently horny. Because the mech genre is inherently horny.